Hey everybody, welcome back to Why in the World. I imagine many of you are spending time thinking about what life was like before this pandemic started um, and maybe forecasting what you are imagining life will be like on the other side of it. It's been quite a quite a time these last handful of weeks, this season of COVID-19 that we are currently in, where we are all sheltering in place and washing our hands more than we ever have before. Um, there's just so much going on in the collective as a whole. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me how the experience of COVID-19 exists on a universal level. It's impacting the entire globe. And with that, there's so much that gets stirred up in each of us. And in that way, the universal experience of COVID-19 gets personalized down into our individual experiences. It touches parts of our own stories that are painful. You know, the collective experience of fear, anxiety, uncertainty, powerlessness, helplessness, all of that that's getting stirred up on a collective level follows threads down into each of our personal lives where we've felt those things before. And so in that way, it's a very personal experience as well. And when things are this overwhelming, we tend to split things off into categories. We try to find ways to control the uncontrollable, to manage the uncertainty and with that, like, you know, we, we get into all sorts of our own coping mechanisms and strategies. Sometimes we're desperately trying to find ways to avoid the overwhelming feeling. Um, other times we are looking for ways to project that overwhelming feeling out into the world, into a political system or into, um, you know, some sort of conspiracy about what might be happening. Um, and the advantage of that is that we can externalize the difficult feelings and put them out there in the world somewhere where we can look at them, talk about them, and feel like we can blame somebody or something for what's happening. Um, and what that does is stops us from looking inward at what's actually getting stirred up on a personal level for us. And while I understand why we split things off in that way, I would like to just say that I think part of the invitation of a season like this is the invitation to go inward, to look at everything that's getting stirred up for us personally. Because while there's not a whole lot that we can do on a global level beyond washing our hands and sheltering in place and following the regulations that are in front of us, there is a lot that we can actually do on the personal level. COVID-19 is a temporary situation. There will be a time where we're past this, where it's not our current reality anymore. And so in that way, it's going to come, it's going to peak, and it's going to go. Uh, but the invitation to heal something on a personal level can have very lasting effects. Um, and if, if we're each doing that kind of work, it can have effects beyond just the personal. If we're healing personally, 
it's kind of like that saying that Gandhi had that we need to be the change we want to see in the world. Rather than splitting off the difficult feelings we're all having personally and putting them somewhere out there in the world where they feel more controllable, what would it be like during this time to look inward, to look at the parts that we're wanting to split off, but rather than split them off, find a way to integrate them, to feel them more deeply, and to help them become teachers in some way. And to that end, I'm excited to bring you this episode with Laura Burkett. This episode was actually recorded several weeks before we knew anything about COVID-19. And so in that way, it is a bit of a way to time travel back before all of this was going on. But I think a lot of this conversation is really relevant to the situation that we're currently in. Um, And things that we discuss in the episode um, are helpful for us to look at what are those splits in our life and how do we begin to heal them. Um, Laura is the founder of Real Food Wellness, which she provides professional holistic nutritional counseling and is a certified eating psychology coach. And I don't know if you've ever searched for nutrition counseling, but I just did. And what came up was that there are 91,500,000 nutrition counseling or coaching sites that hit on Google, which is is just an astronomical number. And so there's no shortage of this in the world. But one thing I think you will discover in this episode is that Laura brings a significant amount of depth to the work that she does. Um, She has quite a significant understanding of depth psychology, of internal family systems, of just thinking through the work that she's doing on a soul level, not just uh, creating a nutritional program level. And so I'm excited for you to hear this. I'm excited for you to think about the implications of this for your own life, even if nutrition counseling isn't something you're particularly interested in. I think this episode holds a lot for all of us in terms of looking at our own depths and identifying the places that are split off that need integration that need to be worked back into our lived experience so that we can show up in the world in a more holistic and authentic way. So with that, I am excited to bring you this episode. You're listening to Why in the World, a podcast featuring deep dive conversations, exploring why we show up in the world the way that we do. I'm your host, psychotherapist, Brian Nixon. for having me yeah it's uh, fun to sit down with you um, and think about sort of the time that we've known each other I think it started in 2013 um, and I'm thinking about beginnings and like the beginning of this podcast and having you on at the very beginning feels I don't know really interesting to me and fun because when I first launched my private practice and left the agency I was working at in 2013. Um, you're one of the first faces I remember seeing when um, we landed in that sweet space together 
on Lake Drive and each had an office in the suite and mm-hmm. kind of had no idea what we were doing. Um, <laughs> so it's really fun to think back on on that beginning as we're jumping into this beginning. Yeah. I was thinking about that too on the way here and um, I was actually thinking, I was having that memory of how sad I was when you left that mm. shared space that we had. Um, just remembering the sweetness of those connections, especially just starting. So to me, it's wild to think, I mean, I think we're mm. both around the decade mark and this this coming February be 11 years so yeah time time (laughs) goes by so quickly and so much happens and Mm -hmm. um, yeah I think the idea of sweetness around that time really fits for me too Um, thinking about all the faces that were in that space kind of wide-eyed and wondering like is this going to work what are we doing are we crazy Mm -hmm. how do we do even the most simple things like get people to come and see us and um, all of that and so it felt in a way like really like we were in the trenches together kind of figuring a lot of things out and um, and so like yeah I had definitely had uh, just that same sort of sadness twinge when when I left it was that mixture of this is an exciting sort of expansion and movement um, and growth of, of my practice, but it's also a moving away from something that mm-hmm. was so good and so grounding. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's the hard, that's the, it's the package deal with decisions, you know, that there's always something that we say no to when we mm-hmm. say yes to something. So, yeah, I've, I've felt that too in my own transition, but here we are. Here we are. <laughs> and so... I would love for you to talk a little bit about how your work has evolved over these last, I don't know, 10 years. <laughs> 10 years, yeah. Um, you own Real Food Wellness and do, um, correct me if I get this wrong, but like the psychology of nutrition and food and um, and you're in sort of a coaching space, mm-hmm. um, which I'm really aware of like, it seems culturally there are so many different versions of like health coaching Mm -hmm. um, and nutrition coaching and coaching of all sorts. Um, And one, one reason I was really excited to have you on and talk some about this is also like Mm -hmm. another thing I felt really drawn to you by was just the depth of how you approach your work. Mm -hmm. Um, That there was a bit of like a, a kindredness that I felt of like, Oh, Laura's not just, constructing like meal plans and things like that but there's like a whole depth psychology that informs this and that's very individualized to the human she's sitting across from and so I'd love to hear Mm -hmm. your thoughts on that like how did that come to be how has it evolved yeah well thank you for that Mm -hmm. um yeah as you say the first thing I think of is that geez, within the last 10 years, just the, the the interest in health coaching and just in holistic nutrition, it's kind of like what's happened with the yoga scene too, where it's just the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all over the place. Um, yeah. So in terms of, I guess, how I got here so far is... After I graduated um, from my undergraduate degree, I 
I had a job that I wasn't so crazy about, and then I ended up going to the ballroom dance industry because mm. um, I just remember it was like this promise that I made myself that if I could find a way to dance for a living and not be a stripper, that <laughs> I would I would do it. And lo and behold, I found sort of a love of ballroom dance. Um, and the reason I share that, it was during that time, um, it was about four years that I was in the industry. I was dealing with a lot that I didn't quite understand. Part of it was was very physical, like my immune system. I, I was constantly getting sick, GI issues, just a lot of it just didn't feel good to identify as a person that got sick so often mm. at such a young age. Um, and the other part was that I was very confused by why I had such a conflicted and painful relationship with food. Mm. Um, I found that the resources that were uh, available to me didn't, they didn't get to the heart of what was going on. Um, so in terms of decisions that we talked about, that for me was a choice point where I had to, you know, I was still so young, so there was kind of like that feeling that you can still do anything, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and made the decision to leave the industry and, and construct a way of working that that offered a type of support that I didn't find. Um, mm. So part of it, of course, was initiated by my own desire and need to heal, which I think many of us that are in the healing profession have something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, so it was basically just like a series of figuring it out to get started. It's like I was flying back and forth to New York City mm. to get a great education in holistic nutrition and kind of know the ropes around coaching. Um, but I was already so deeply drawn to to being of service and mm. connection, um, catalyzing relationship, uh, that it just, I kind of took to it like a fish to water. Mm. And so, I mean, it's like I don't want to go into the whole story, but basically in terms of the evolution, um, about a year into starting my private practice, I noticed even just in my client work that this is even just in the health coaching scene, just I wasn't having the kind of interventions with people that I knew were really wanting to happen. Mm -hmm. And although I was making good connections and, and helping in an intuitive way, um, I, I decided to take my studies deeper, and that's it was 2010. I mean, really, not not long into my practice that I really started to get into depth psychology. Went back to school again, um, got into an interest in indigenous healing systems, and really over the last nine years or so, that's been it's kind of like the behind the scenes work mm. that. Um, really feels like I can have a lot of integrity, you mm. know, in what I'm doing, which that's a real thick word for me. So it's that yeah. one and dignity. So, um, yeah. So, and then time goes by and mm. it's, the work has evolved in terms of my depth of understanding of what's really wanting to happen for people.
Sure. When it sounds like you really didn't start out with like a roadmap of like, I want to end up here doing this specific thing, but like followed your own story in a way, your own need, your own awareness of like, I need something that's not available. And in your sort of search for that and your own pursuit mm-hmm. have created something that that is pretty specific. Yeah. Um, and it, I would say, from what I can tell, ever-evolving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you share, it makes me think of that idea that um, the, with, with a gift that there's a wound, and it's, it's mm. these two things go together. Um, so really, as I reflect, it's thinking back, had I not um, been dealing with a good deal of troubles, um, it really wouldn't have given me the thing to push back against, mm-hmm. to to be a little relentless in um, resourcing myself, um, and it is also what led me into system and fam- family systems theory, inner family mm-hmm. systems theory, and then I ended up doing IFS um, therapy training. So it's it's just. There's so many, there's so many levels, <laughs> there's so many levels in terms of what's going on for a person, so. Absolutely. We're so layered. We are. I would love to hear a little bit about the internal family systems, like what drew you to that? How would you describe mm-hmm. what it is and how it integrates into the work that you do? Yes. So... I guess the easiest way to describe it, it, it basically, I think it, it challenges the the myth of the mono mind that we're just this is me, this is all of who I am, um, because we notice even in our language, casual language that we say a part of me felt like I wanted to do this, and next thing I know, another part of me is doing the exact yeah, opposite. Exactly, and that can feel like a crazy maker. Um, so in terms of understanding inner family systems, um, the, the, the headline news here is that, that there's a crowd on the inside. Mm. We've got a little personality posse. I um, that. That's fun. And yeah, it's, you, you just, it's a way of really getting to know how your personality system organizes or organized itself, especially when we were young. So I know like Jung would, would use the, the terms complexes mm-hmm. um, to talk about kind of these clusterings. But IFS, it's, I think most people will get this, that we, we all have different ways of protecting ourselves um, in the world. And um, oftentimes it's not that conscious. They just kind of happen. And they're very wise. And usually, um, our, when things aren't working so well, that's what gets people into coaching or into the therapy office. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are sides of us that uh, really like to control and sort of people please or worry or ruminate. Um, the looking good thing falls in there, kind of the, the social media issue that's, that's causing a lot of distress for people. Um, so basically, we have ways that we like stay on top of things, mm-hmm. um, stay ahead of things. So um, 
we don't have to feel bad, basically. Right. Some of us have very, and this in IFS, they would call managers. Some of us have like extraordinary managers. Mm. Um, and then on the flip side, there are sides of us that get, I would say, not as good of a reputation. And these are truly the reactive sides of us um, that will binge eat, drink, um, sex addiction, o- overspending, um, disassociating, anything that is kind of like this knee-jerk reaction. And all that does is tell us that we just got a little too close to the fire there. Yeah. And then that stuff, the firefighter kicks on. And yeah. So I think anyways, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but I think the, the, the point is, is that when people understand that there's actually inner parts of them at work, mm. that they don't get as over-identified with, especially if they have a problem, that that's all of me. Right. They start to understand this is just a part of me and it's a part of me that can get help so that my whole inner world can readjust and I can enter life Mm -hmm. feeling a little more confident and calm and resourceful. So um, in terms of it being helpful for people working with their health or eating issues, I mean, we are somaticizers in so many ways, um, and a lot of people don't realize that that sometimes our inner parts are responsible for symptoms we can't get resolved. Sure. Um, and of course, maybe parts that are like wanting expression, but then like the manager that you mentioned is trying to keep us safe, and so shuts down other parts that are looking to to be present or to make themselves known. Totally. Yeah, it's like a. It's when you really start paying attention, you can see you trip the wire, and then there's a sequence of events that happens inside mm-hmm. of you, and it can happen within five seconds. Um, and the next thing you know, you're kind of gripped by something that you feel like you have no other choice to do, mm-hmm. which is whatever controlling or reacting in some way. Um, Almost like you can see yourself reacting to something and there's part of you that's wondering like why why am I reacting this way but you can't really stop it from happening like maybe in a relationship Mm -hmm. the way you you know maybe get defensive or turn towards blame or whatever it is that there is a part of you that's going wait that's that's not fully it but that part is also sort of being held at bay maybe by that manager or Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, um, in our culture, we like managers. Managers get the goodies. They get the gold stars. Um, These are the things that people, this is how we present ourselves out in the world. And we want to keep certain parts of us hidden. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is about kind of getting all parts back online and giving the different parts of ourselves equal weight and value. Um, It is a lot of work to um, contain oneself, you know, to try and only live out one side of oneself. And um, for some of us, uh, many of us, there's a point where you you hit a wall Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're open to exploring these other sides of yourself. Um, Mm. Ultimately, it's a really... It's a really good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But feels like shit on the front end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you don't, here's the problem. For people, if they don't have context for what's trying to happen on a soul level and psychologically, people can feel like they're going crazy or mm-hmm. they're just having a breakdown. So 
I mean, I would say for me, this is part of my deep desire to be as resourceful as I can, is to know the proper context to put, oops, to put uh, the situation that the person is in, um, generally just to normalize what's happening. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that gives all of us so much comfort is once you you can normalize what you're going through. Mm -hmm. um, then we can step up to the plate. It feels like a little bit more. Um, but when we don't know, mm -hmm. it's generally when people start to feel scared or isolated. Yeah. Um, or asking the questions like, what's wrong with me? Or I'm just not myself. And there's yeah. sort of that like realization of, it's sort of an over-identification with one part of you. Mm -hmm. um, maybe the, you know, another Jungian term would be like the persona that yeah. we put out into the world and want the world to see and would really like to, you know, to l live as or to like, this is who I am. Yeah. And so there's sort of that like, I'm going to hyper identify with that and resist any other part of me that's not in alignment with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is the great problem with with not understanding that the persona it's it's like our psychological clothing we all need it it's it is how we represent ourselves in the world but the real issue is once we over identify with that's who mm -hmm. I am it turns into this very strange game not even a game I think it's it's far less pleasant where um we, without knowing it, we're categorizing like this is the real me and that's not the real me. Mm -hmm. And once I get rid of that, then I'll be the real me. Now, I notice that shows up for people even just with body and body weight. Once I get rid of this, then I'll be the real me. Right. Or once I get rid of this anxiety or this pattern that I have in my relationship, then I'll finally be the real me. Mm. Um, and that, I just want to name it um, because that causes a great deal um, of struggling. So I, I, I prefer to play the devil's advocate position and mm. see what, what qualities could that thing that you're trying to sever off actually bring, mm. bring into your life, um, help, help, uh, bring more dimensionality to life. Uh, so you can see there's a more soulful feeling this is not about getting it all cleaned up mm -hmm. and if that is if that's the goal that's a very hard road because it's actually an impossible one right so yeah I mean even as I share it you know you can feel us going more into the heart of <laughs> you know what what can be difficult and like kind of larger conversations mm -hmm. yeah I find myself having this thought as you're talking of like so what you're saying is that the presenting problem is never the real problem. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's interesting. I'll say this, that invitations come to us in so many different ways. And the good news here is that, and this is my belief, that life wants us to get on the beam, meaning it wants us to live the life that we are meant to live. Mm -hmm. And just like any other organic being, um, a living being wants to be what it is. Now, when there's a, s a series of constraints um, that go on that makes it hard to do that, we still get invited to be who we are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it takes 
pain, it takes addiction, it takes some kind of rock bottom or running into the wall or something, but the invitations are always there. Mm. So when we put these things in a different context, we can see um, it's a more uplifting way of looking at where life is calling us. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, doing soul work or psychological work is um, in service to life, Yeah. right? I mean, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Just, it gets me juiced because oh. then you know it's like, this is worth it. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. And it, it, in a way, it sounds like what your, your role is or how you see your role with your clients is as the one who helps them create context and a bit of a guide because I, all of those things can be going on individually. But as you said a few minutes ago, like if you don't have a context for that, it's really disorienting, disruptive, which it could be those things even with a guide. Yeah. Um, but to have somebody come alongside you and be like, well, what if this isn't exactly as it seems? Like what if this problem, this struggle, this form of suffering that you're experiencing is actually some sort of messenger from a deeper part of mm. you. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, don't you feel the whole tone mm. change when you say that? Even getting somebody to um, consider the possibility, that, that we know is that beautiful word hope, mm -hmm. that, can, that alone can shift so much. Um, so yeah, I remember the phrase a teacher had used that the, the whispering of our guardian angel and that 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 comes to us um, mm. and I think yeah I, I would say I, I thank you too for the reflection on kind of that guide sort of role in a way I think that's what I mean there have been so many things that I've needed to understand in a very deep, deep way around my own, who I am, you mm -hmm. know, my own well-being, my own being. Um, <laughs> I lost my train of thought a little bit. Oh, um, mm. my interest in, in different healing systems around the world um, where we're not as uh, restricted by um, certain codes. Mm -hmm. And so that is kind of what launched an interest in traveling overseas and um, just to study with different healers. Mm. So anyways, I say that because it's like, I want to know what it, what is the catalyzing force? What is it? What's at the heart mm -hmm. of it? And I really noticed this quality of sincerity um, and I just think, you know, our roles as helpers and healers and guides, it's, um, our own sincerity to the work. Um, mm -hmm. so it, yeah, I mean, this is kind of, I can feel random stream of consciousness yeah, a little bit. Just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's lovely to talk. It, it invites me to take inventory again mm. of what, what's going on mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and there's just that real sense of like to be that sort of presence to someone else like you have to have a commitment to doing that work for yourself first mm -hmm. um, which really 
like the idea of soul or depth or even like engaging the unconscious parts of ourself like or believing that there is an unconscious part of ourself that it has some say and some control over the way our life goes um, mm -hmm. and as a psychotherapist like I'm keenly aware of like the last several decades of just the shift towards a more like cognitive behavioral mm -hmm. model where like if we just change the way you're thinking then we'll change the way you're behaving um, and to me that's never felt compelling because I've I've never been able to really relate to that in my own life like I've gone through seasons of life where I got really good at doing these checklists of the right things to do and the wrong things to avoid and still had that sort of internal nudge or nagging that there's more to it than this <laughs> and like I think there's a place for things like cognitive behavioral therapy, yeah. um, but I don't think it's like the end of the road. I think it could be the start of the road. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, Brian, yes, trusting that your instincts and intuitions, you know, think about it, if just sitting here with you, you know, reflecting back to you, it's, there are so many things that we can choose in terms mm -hmm. of even just like the way that we do therapy or work but we happen to choose what we choose mm -hmm. and we could choose anything and so it's like sitting here with you i also feel your own essence in it because um this is thing around depth yes it's around depth um it just we feel it um it feels it feels real and um this word the unconscious that you use it's like that's you know it's going to live itself out whether yeah. you you see it or not mm -hmm. um then that's the stuff that gets squished out sideways so that's kind of like what we try and work in service of is getting to know mm -hmm. what we can at least mm -hmm. yeah and it seems so important to open ourselves up relationally to to people that will be full of integrity and honesty and authenticity with us to help us see a bit of our own reflection maybe from an angle that we couldn't see it ourselves like yeah. that phrase the problem with the unconscious is that it's unconscious like you <laughs> inherently we can't see it on our own um, but uh -huh. as you said like the things that are in our unconscious will come out sideways because I think they are longing for expression and integration and healing and yeah. all of those sorts of things it's so true. I laugh a little bit because it's like, it's almost embarrassing. You know, other people can see what we've tucked behind, yes. like our own shadow, far <laughs> before we can see what it is. That's so true. It makes me laugh. Um, so, yeah, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking about that. But there's just so much action. There's just so much action there. And I remember um, reading something that Robert Bly had written that, mm. um, you know, even in terms of the unconscious, if you're thinking about the shadow, it says the shadow is like a long bag that we drag behind us. Yes. Um, and I don't know if you've read that particular piece. Is but that his, his little short book on, like, I think it's called like a little book on the shadow or something? It, it's an excerpt. It's actually in a big anthology, but okay. it could probably be part of this this book that, that you read too. And um you know, that alone just kind of helped me understand that that's, that's what we do and that's what I did. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was dragging a very long bag mm -hmm. behind me and, and it takes a lot of energy to it keep does. that thing closed. Um, 
So, hmm. yeah, I just I like I like that side of things. I you do know, too. The the places we don't want to go. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, that's where Let's the deepest go. invitations come from. Mm-hmm. And that can feel really scary and daunting for people because I think there's such a way that we construct, again, that sort of persona or sense of who we are in the world. Like, I think the whole first half of our life, we're sort of bolstering our ego. Like, mm-hmm. we're trying to create who we are in the world. And then to, like, bump up against this maybe shadow part of ourselves that's saying, well, that's part of who you are, but what about this? And these these other parts of us that in some way are a threat to our own persona, are a threat to how we see ourselves in the world, or are a threat to the roles we play in our life and the relationships that we maintain, mm-hmm. um, that if I actually dive into those deeper waters, it could really mess some things up. Yeah. Yeah, so it makes me think, you know, we all have to make a decision to some degree what we're working in service of. Um, and if it is, if it's comfort and maintaining whatever you call normalcy or something very steady, um, you will fight it. Mm-hmm. You will fight that. Um, I know that to be true in my life, for yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, we all do. To, it, it's... <laughs> In a way, you know, I know in Jungian psychology, it's said that, that the psyche is on a gradient towards wholeness. Mm. And and that's just where we're headed. And so the personality wants to fill itself out. It's, it's not a bad thing. But, yeah, what you're saying in terms of the persona, that's that's actually the first step is realizing it's such a small sliver of the personality pie. Mm-hmm. And you will go through hell. Um, trying to maintain that when all of the other aspects of you just either remain hidden or or cause you a lot of troubles Mm -hmm. because (laughs) it's very hard to I mean even like with my work you know I work with a lot of people with eating and and I'm very aware I even work with people that do health coaching or are nutritionists and a very strong persona even on say social media Mm -hmm. and they're coming in for binge eating right so this is we're healing a split here. Right. Um, the more we are attached to the persona, to, or whatever this ideal version, the stronger the other side is going to be. Yeah. So this whole idea of severing off the side that's causing you problems, it just doesn't work. Right. It only gets stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, I say that because even just understanding that, you know, it's it's like who who have I constructed? Um, and just to know that it's, like I said, when I say psychological clothing, you know, you can take the clothes off when you realize that at the end of the day and kind of feel a little more you. Um, I'm sure that for you, Brian, you know, it's like you and I both need to have uh, an adequate persona, you mm-hmm. know, it, to develop trust in the community and things like that. Yep. Um, and we know that there are people that don't have a developed persona that actually need to f- find a socialized self to be part of the human yeah. community. So it's like, absolutely, it just depends on yeah. the person, really. And that it's not inherently a, a bad thing that you have a persona, that it is in service of something. Uh, yeah. And if you have no persona, it's almost like 
you've got third degree burns all over your body and <laughs> any sort of contact with other people, the world, different ideas that are different from where, what you believe or that sort of thing just is excruciating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The persona, I mean, this is how we get along. Mm -hmm. It's that's part of the socialized self. That's how and why we can do community right. to some degree. Um, I say to some degree, you know, when we're in a human community of people that, that, you know, you can kind of let take off the mask. Mm -hmm. um, to me, that's a little more ideal. Um, but to get on with life, you know, we all need, yeah, some form of right. persona in the world. Absolutely. And as you're saying that, like I'm thinking of a quote by Jung where I might get this a little bit wrong, but the, the gist of it is until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life, but you will call it fate. Mm-hmm. And, and then you're like, oof. Right. It's just like a <laughs> gut punch of like the way that I think I am in the world and I'm, or these things happen in life and, or different things show up and there's conflict or there's whatever it is. And it's easy to kind of feel like life is just doing this thing to me or mm -hmm. why does this keep happening or why do I keep ending up in these relationships that play out in the same sort of unsatisfying way. Mm -hmm. um, and Often I notice with people that I work with, there's a tendency to say, well, that's just the way I am in the world, or that's just how things go for me, and that there's so much loaded underneath that um, that is unconscious, and that can be with hard work and you know, commitment to openness mm -hmm. and, and vulnerability can slowly kind of come to the surface, and, and you start to see what was once unconscious, like you get a little glimpse or you get an invitation um, from a deeper part of you um, as as you're with somebody that can hold that sort of space or invite that to come out. And, and from there, like once it's conscious, you can start working with it differently. And then all of a sudden, what felt like fate isn't fate anymore. It's something much more dynamic yeah. or much more alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it, it helps people not feel so doomed by some situation they're identifying with. Um, yeah, it's like simultaneously like super disruptive to see some of that, but also, as you mentioned, like there's like hope embedded in it. Uh, yeah, yes, yes to both of those. It's, it's wildly disorienting um, and bang on. It's wanting to happen mm. and... and you know, it takes sometimes it takes a lot to get mm. us to pay attention. Um, but ultimately, it's so worth it. Um, yeah. yeah, that's why I go back to like the, the you got to know a lay of the psychological land here. Um, that nothing is wrong. This thing that's happening doesn't mean anything is wrong. Um, yeah, that's an interesting distinction that something can be painful and problematic, but not inherently wrong. Yeah, it's there. There is a, a spiritual fortification that is required to step up mm. and hang in that um, to to yeah to understand that this is unpleasant and and right on. Mm -hmm. 
um, not forever, but here for now. And um, yeah, there's a little endurance in it. Yeah. Um, so it's like, gosh, no wonder why so many of us resist it. Um, yeah. You know, every now and then you get this, this self-help junkie who's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> all about it. But for the most part, the stuff that, that actually has a lot of energy that, that is causing issues, it's generally the places we'd rather not go. Right. So how does that play out in your work with your clients? Um, how do you invite people into that? And I don't know if you'd feel, I mean, you can talk about that sort of theoretically. Yeah. But I'm curious if you have like, a specific situation with a particular client where it happened and you could share some of that if you feel comfortable. Sure. Um, you know, I would say one of the one common thing in general that I notice is a split that's going on between the the wanting to get it all cleaned up and kind of be perfect and get the diet looking good and the body looking just so and the reason that they're coming in is everything else that's not that. Meaning what else, whatever is going on behind closed doors, which is it could be a body image issue, it could be overeating or binge eating, or just kind of a, a one-dimensionality about eating and all that. It just is making life feel small. Um, this, is, this is the reconciliation. There's something that's wanting to happen there that... that that we're no longer good eaters and we're no longer bad eaters, that we're just eaters. Mm. Now, for people that are doing this kind of work with me, that that feels very, very difficult. Um, they want to really identify with the days where they've got it together mm-hmm. and really dis- disidentify and cut off the days where they're just kind of what they feel like is a mess. Yeah. Um, and so on the surface, it would seem like what we're doing or what I'm doing by helping people integrate um, types of food into their diet that feel a little edgy for them, it would just seem like we're just changing behavior. But what, and even through conversation, kind of like the download, the, the, the message in this is, is that um, we're, we're able to hold both hands up together. It's not holding one hand up and dropping the other or vice mm-hmm. versa. Is that this is actually about just being human mm-hmm. um, and what it means to eat. So that's a big reconciliation that people are going through in terms of healing the split between um, an image-focused uh, desire to, to the way of being in the world versus a more filled out way of being in the world because generally what's behind painful eating habits um, are really things that are just at the heart of human suffering around how willing am I even be able to be here? Mm. Do I wanna be here? Um, how do I let other people treat me? How comfortable am I with boundaries and saying my truth? How well do I even know myself? Mm. Um, and on the list goes. so. Healing the split with eating is actually about healing the split with in the person. Um, oh, that's so good. <laughs> this is what I say. That's what I hold. See, for me, that's what can keep the work still alive because to some degree we've got to talk about fruits and vegetables because some people, I mean, want to improve their health. Yeah. But 
again, if if it's keeping a hold of what this is all in service of, because that's the pattern that mm -hmm. usually presents for people. Yeah. So are you explicitly talking about that with your clients? Or are you just kind of aware that that's happening in the background, that we're healing the split with food and we're also healing this internal split within themselves? Um, I, I would say I will do whatever it takes. Hmm. So if I, if I get a sense of this, I, I've got an intellectual type in front of me, they're going to like to be taught about mm -hmm. how the inner workings are. They're going to want to know so that they're in, they're in on it too, yeah. right? And then there's other people that know they don't, it's not, actually it's not in service. Um, so it's kind of an intuitive thing, um, but the that's the reason why I'm so um, interested in catalyzing relationship is mm. it's it's a creative thing. Mm -hmm. You've got to feel into what's happening and what it's language, the power of language. What what can I say right here mm -hmm. um, to start activating? the kind of energy in the mm. person that can that can hold the polarization and kind of start to mend the split. Yeah. You know, that that's the energy mm. we want to invoke. Do it a lot of different ways. Um, but I find a lot of people like, you know, we like most of us like to work on ourselves. Mm. We like to talk about ourselves and like know what we're all about. So I think if it's done in an encouraging and uplifting way, People are on board. Yeah. Um, and like those can be major discoveries of like, I've been alive for decades and have never seen this part of me. Yeah. Yeah. And the heart breaks a little bit. In yeah. That, that somewhere there's a little tragedy in there and that it's never too late to sort of pay out that, that side of life in some way. Mm -hmm. um, the invitations are always there, is mm -hmm. the point. Um, and I would say the good news is, is once once you can get past the, the 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 painful invitations, there's a threshold where invitations come in a different way through things like synchronicity, or mm. things aligning, or through inspiration. Inspiration mm. is a huge one. Um, so. So I just want to say that to, to, to clarify that, that invitations aren't always just out of pain. Right. Um, and I'm sure you and I and people that are listening also can probably get that they can have both. Mm -hmm. There's, gosh, things that are painful that finally I'm being called to do something in a different way. But the, the sweetness of the glittery <laughs> inspiration to to do something, mm. to create something, to say something a certain way, mm -hmm. um, that's there too. So it's kind of like fear not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's rich. Mm -hmm. hmm. I know we're getting close to the end of our time, but I, I want to ask, like, do you have a moment in mind with a particular client that really stands out to you of like, that was just a really beautiful breakthrough moment? Mm. Um, and if not, that's okay too. Yeah, just think about it for a moment. Um, 
You know, to be honest, I don't have one coming into mind. I, I have stories. Um, generally, it's it's the feeling. I have, you know, I recently had somebody that came in, and it just seems like all of a sudden they got something. Mm. Um, or something th- got them. Something got them. Mm. They've been fighting themselves, this particular person, for so long. Um and all of a sudden, it's just the insight came um, that they can just be who they are. Now, the language is very simple. Sure. Um, but you can see, like, on the outside, somebody says that. Okay, what what did that reflect? It's like she has done her spiritual spade work, mm. I mean, to get to the point where that happened. And what happens for me? Oh, my God, my heart just soars. Huh. Um, and then we're just reminded of, the, you know, it's I used the language before, but this is in service to life, um, into a living being, actually being what it is. Mm-hmm. Um for better or worse, yeah, you know, like who we are. So, yeah, it, the memory obviously invokes certain feelings about it, but that yeah. to me is a crux moment hmm. um, for I've witnessed, experienced. Yeah, love it. <laughs> well, I'm grateful that you are in this community and doing the work that you're doing and inviting people to a deeper sense of awareness of the fullness of who they are and because um, I, I do think that the more awake and conscious we become as individuals the more the collective benefits from that mm-hmm. um, that we're really in the work of you know not just healing ourselves or healing the individual in front of us but we are in, in some way participating in the healing of something larger yeah and that's a that's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. amen yeah so for anyone that's listening that it is like oh i've I've not thought about it this way but Mm -hmm. this feels really like something is stirring in me now and i want to pursue this a little more like and they wanted to work with you specifically how would they find you like Mm mm-hmm Generally, it's through telepathy these days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or shared dreams. Uh-huh. I um, did notice that you levitated on your <laughs> way in here, so that was cool. Um, yeah, I still, it's so funny, the sweetness of my website. You know, it's like 25 Real Food Wellness. It's the same website, so you can always find me at realfoodwellness.com. Um, I would honestly say that's the easiest, simplest way, and there's a contact page there. So, great. But I'm around. Okay. <laughs> And you, you work a couple of days a week in Grand Rapids, and then where else I'm, are you working? I'm in Grand Rapids. I'm, you know, I had an office in Niles for a while, which is, is southwest Michigan, um, but I found that between doing a couple days here, well, two to three days here, and then a couple remote days um, is generally how I'm working these days. Um, I do intensives, too, so, you know, those are a few hours, and those those I've done out of my home in southwest Michigan, too, and also in Grand Rapids. So there are many creative ways to awesome. connect, yes. So it's not one cookie-cutter way of, of working with oh, Laura Oh, you Burkett. know me better than that <laughs> by now, yeah. Yeah. Well, what a, what a joy to have you on. I'm so grateful that you carved out some time to come and have this conversation, and it's fun to, to think back on how it's unfolded today. So. I think so, too. Well, thank you so much for 
having the time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Well, thank you for spending some time with us today. I hope that you found this episode to be encouraging, um, that you will find some spaces of hope amidst this COVID-19 situation we find ourselves in. Um, And if you are feeling isolated and like you could use some extra support during this time, feel free to reach out to Laura at realfoodwellness.com. She is able to do remote sessions. Additionally, my counseling practice, Mindful Counseling GR, has a number of very talented and compassionate therapists on our staff. And if you are in Michigan, um, we would be happy to work with you. Um, We are able to do video sessions as well. And that's mindfulcounselinggr.com. And other than that, may you find moments of peace and exhale some during this time. Take care.